Father, again, we just come to you humbly as we approach your word and we look at these lessons that you want to teach us through uh, this great book of 1 Peter. And Lord, today as we learn about uh, how we're to lead and how we're to set an example in this world and just how important that is, Lord, I just ask that uh, you take these truths and and uh, show them to each of us in a way that we can apply them to our lives. In the home, Lord, in the workplace, wherever we we uh, go, Lord, we're to follow your example and what an example you left. But Lord, we know that we can't follow your example in our flesh. We have to have the power of your Holy Spirit. So everything that's said here, Lord, is, is uh, qualified by the fact that that we can't do anything on our own without your power. We need your power, Lord. We need your grace. We want to be witnesses in the community we're in. We want to set an example that, that make people want to have what we have. And so, Lord, we know we're incapable of doing that without uh, the guidance of your Holy Spirit, without the power of your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, teach us all of these great lessons today that uh, you would show us through this text. And I just ask that you do it. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray, amen. Peter, today, and if you head in your Bible, we're in 1 Peter uh, chapter number 5. We're in the last chapter of 1 Peter. We'll get about, well, a third of the way through it today. We'll probably finish it next time when I get back. But uh, uh, he's going to be talking to us about uh, leading a, a leadership style that uh, I think we should all follow. What's a leadership style? When I say a leadership style, what am I talking about? Well, a leadership style is the way in which a leader uh, implements his plans, directs his people so that he can implement his plans, and then motivates his people to follow him. That's a leadership style. And, and if you want to know the different types of leadership styles, I can't tell you all of them because there are many leadership styles as there are people who write about leadership styles so so there's a lot of them if you ever taken a management course you know exactly what I, I'm talking about in fact everybody that writes a management book has different leadership styles in the army they teach you different leadership styles but I've kind of narrowed them down to four and, and I want to talk about those a minute to kind of introduce the text the first type of leadership style and this is the style a lot of leaders follow is the authoritarian leadership style. And that type of leader uh, lords over his people. He micromanages everything. I mean, he tells the, his, his people everything they're supposed to do and when they're supposed to do it. And it's his way or it's the highway. You either do it his way or you're out of here. That's the authoritarian style, the lordship style, you could say. Then there's the democratic style. What's the democratic style? Obviously, you can figure that one out. Everybody votes, and then you figure out what you're going to do next based upon the majority rule. Now, that's the way we run America. And you can see the dangers of the democratic style uh, just by looking at our own country. Because what happens when a country becomes immoral, the decisions a, company, a country makes become immoral. And that works in any situation. You leave it to the pack, 
and the pack's going to end up doing some very bad things. And so, you know, I don't like the democratic style of leadership. There's some churches that work on a democratic style of leadership. And what I've seen in those churches over years, some very evil people, or not very evil, but I don't think they consider themselves evil. But I've been in churches where I consider them evil. But, but what, what they do, they take power. They take power. And everybody gets a vote whether they're spiritual or not spiritual. And so you end up with some really bad decisions because if you've got an unspiritual church, you're going to make unspiritual decisions. So I don't like the democratic style. Well, here's a good style for you, the laissez-faire style. What's the laissez-faire style? Well, everybody just makes their own decisions. You know, you're a leader and you just allow everybody to kind of do what they want to do. And the reason you do that is because you believe in the goodness of men. You believe that if you leave it to men, they're going to do the right thing. They're going to take the right path. They're going to work really hard if you just leave it to them. That's the laissez-faire style. Good luck with that style. And then we're going to look at this. I want to talk about the style that Peter's going to talk about today. And that's the style I think we should follow. And that is leading by example. Leading by example. Boy, wouldn't it be great to have a president who led by a moral example. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that, where are those days at? You know, I mean, I look at the options we have right now, and, and it's not going to happen in the next election, I can tell you that right now. Not in my opinion, that's my opinion. You can vote whoever you want, but it looks pretty bleak to me. But there have been some great men and women throughout history who have adopted that style of leadership by example. John Keegan, in, in his book, Mask of Command, talks about various leaders and their leadership styles throughout history. And one of the leaders that he cites in his book is Alexander the Great. Now, Alexander the Great was one of the greatest leaders ever. For his short period on earth, nobody led like Alexander the Great. And he led by example. He tells the story of how in 326 B.C., uh, Alexander and his armies were attacking the city of Malta. And they came to Malta, and they breached the first wall around the city. They, they knocked the gates down, and they came through the city, only to find that they were in a trap. Because what Malta had done, they had built two walls around their city. They had two perimeters around their city. And so when Alexander's troops marched into, into, the, into the, the space between the two walls. They were sitting ducks there for the archers above, and so they started shooting all the soldiers, and the soldiers were, were almost ready to run, and Alexander says, give me a ladder. And so somebody handed him a ladder, and he took one of those tall ladders, and he put it on the wall, and he took his shield, and he started marching up that ladder as they were shooting arrows on his shield, and his, his shield was full of arrows, and he made it over the top of the wall. And then these soldiers came at him with swords. And when he lifted his sword up to battle these soldiers, he caught an arrow in the breast that went all the way through his left breast into his lung, and he collapsed on the ground. And they thought he was dead. And, and he, one of his generals stood there by him, protecting him and, and fighting for him and, and using his shield to fight off the arrows. And, and uh, all the soldiers saw what Alexander had done. And so they grabbed their ladders, and they... 
they threw their ladders on the wall and they climbed the wall and soon they outnumbered the men on top and they, were, and they had a great victory that day. And Alexander actually survived that. He lived another three years after taking that area. I mean, he was laying there, they thought, dead. He was uh, uh, breathing, uh, spitting up blood with bubbles in it so they knew that it had punctured his lung. But his men saw that and they, they, led, they followed him, his example, and they had a great victory that day. Because Alexander led by example. Throughout his career, he led by example. Now, if Alexander the Great could conquer the world with that kind of leadership style, I wonder if it wouldn't make sense for us to use that leadership style in the kingdom of God. And that's exactly what Peter's going to tell us in in uh, chapter number five today. So go with me to chapter number five and let's read these first uh, two verses. And these verses are going to put me on the spot and chap on the spot because these verses are about pastors. And not all of y'all are pastors, but these principles are going to apply to y'all, so pay attention to what he has to say here. Listen to what he says beginning in verse number one. He says, the elders who are among you, I exhort. I who am a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. And this is what he says. He says, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Now, if you read those first two verses, let me ask you a question. Who is Peter talking to at this point who is he talking to he's talking to the elders who are those elders pastors right so he's talking to the pastors of the church but what's interesting here there are three greek words that you're probably familiar with at least familiar with their translation that he uses here for the pastor and i want you to see this because a lot of denominations separate the pastor or separate church offices into several offices that I don't think are intended in the church. Because really, there's, there's going to be three words used for pastor here, which are sometimes made into three offices, but really there's just one office, that's the pastor. That's the, at least one office he's addressing here. That's the pastor. Now let me look at those, let me show you those three great words that I'm talking about. The first word, he, he begins at verse 1, he says, the elders. That is the Greek word presbyteros which obviously we get our what English word? Presbyterian. That word simply means, what he, the way it's translated, it means elder. It's, it means somebody who is mature. Mature in what if you're a pastor? Mature in, not in your attitude, because I wouldn't make it. Mature in what? Mature in your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what qualifies you to be a pastor, or at least that's one of the qualifications of being a pastor, is that you're an elder. Remember Paul says, don't appoint a novice to become a pastor. You want an elder, somebody who's got some experience in, in, in the church. So, and, and that's what that word means. But then there's another word. Look at verse number two. Verse number two, he says, shepherd, shepherd the flock. That word shepherd in the Greek is the Greek word poemen. And it's translated elsewhere, pastor. So he says, pastor the flock. Now, so that means that the elder and the pastor 
are the same person. Are you following my drift here? Okay, and then he goes on and look, at, look a little bit later in verse number two. He says, serving as overseers. That is the Greek word episkopon, which we get our word what? Bishop. We get our word bishop and we get our word episcopal uh, from that word episcopon. So what's a bishop? He's an overseer. But who is he talking about? Is he talking about a separate office here? No, he's talking about the same elder. He's talking about the same shepherd. He's talking about the same pastor. He's talking about the same person. Biblically speaking, there are only two offices in the church. I can tell you that right now. There's two offices. And that is elder, and that is our pastor, and deacon. Now, some some denominations take this and they come up with all sorts of offices. They have elders and they have pastors and they have deacons and they have bishops and they have some denominations. Have, one denomination has a pope. Actually, a couple of denominations that have their own pope. And so that's not biblical. Now, whether you know that's right or not, you can, you can debate that later. But it's not biblical. There are two offices in the church and that is pastor or elder and deacon. And you see that when you look at the qualifications for officers in the church, when you look over in Titus and 1 Timothy, you get elders and you get pastors. So two, two offices in the church. Now, with that said, how do we do it here at Calvary? Here at Calvary, we have pastors and we have elders. I, I inherited that. I'm not saying I inherited the elders. I'm glad I have the elders I have. But I'm, I'm, we inherited that situation because that's the way Calvary does it. And I understand why, and I'm going to explain that in a minute. But basically, in our church, actually we have three offices. We have pastors, we have elders, and we have deacons. Okay, well, I really believe our elders are not pastors so much as they are deacons. Our elders serve as a financial board. But with that said, let me tell you why I believe Calvary has chosen to call them elders, and I, and I agree with this part of it, because they are overseers. El, the elders of our church are overseers. Uh, the word oversee means to look out, to look out for the business of the church, to look out for a bad pastor. Basically, what our elders do, that's why I'm so nice to them and buy them all sorts of nice things, is, 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 and be sure I visit them in the hospital and call them often, you know. It's because their job is to look out over me for you. In other words, their job is to keep me accountable uh, financially, doctrinally, and morally. If I go out of line morally, they have the authority to get rid of me. If I go out of line financially, they can cut off my finances. If I go out of line... Uh, Morally, then they can get rid of me. Doctrinally or morally. Doctrinally, they can straighten out my, my doctrine, but they know better than to try that. <laughs> but anyway, I'm joking, guys. I really, I was joking. Don't, don't, I'm not daring you. Now, with all of that said, I want you to see that, and that's not the important part of this text. So what I want you to look at is his exhortation here to pastors. Again, you're not pastors, but you're going to see the application uh, to you here later on, so, so hang with me. He says, he, he says uh, 
or he begins by stating his credentials. Listen to what he says. He says, I who am a fellow elder. What's Peter saying there? He's saying, I'm a pastor too. I know what it's like to be a pastor. And I know what a pastor's supposed to do. So, because I am a fellow elder. Now, how did Peter get to be an elder or a pastor? And, I, and, and he doesn't list their credential, but I'm gonna, I, think it's, I think it's important to anything you do in Christendom. Anything you do for the church, I believe, first of all, you have to be called. That's how Peter became an elder. That's how you become whatever you are in the church. And I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about your function in, in, in the church universal, your function in the living body of Jesus Christ. How did you get in that position? You were called to that position. You should have been called to that position. Do you remember Peter's calling? I mean, there's not a, there's not a, a, a more intimate text uh, in, the, in the Bible than Peter's call. I can't skip over it. Let's go back to John. Go back to the Gospel of John. Go ahead back towards the first of the New Testament to the Gospel of John. And, and I want to show you this because I think anybody who is called into the ministry, how many people in the church are called to the ministry? Every single one of us, you have a calling, and it's an intimate calling. You had not gotten that calling yet, you just wait. It's coming if you're a born-again believer. It's not necessarily to be a pastor. It's not necessarily to work in children's ministry, although that's a calling. But all of us should have know our calling and if you don't know your calling yet again I emphasize you find out what your calling is it might be to work in business and to sow into the kingdom of God and to sow into your family it might be that you're called to be a mother to, to teach your children I mean there's a lot of things that, that, that but you know you got a calling and, 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 that, and that's why I take you here to this call, Peter's calling here in John chapter 21 because it's so I hate to use the word sweet, but, but, it, but it's, it, it's so loving. It just shows you the compassion and love Jesus Christ has for his children. Because you remember what happened. Jesus was raised from the dead. And the disciples were, man, they were on fire. They were so excited. And, and they, they, they were up in the upper room, and there Jesus appears, and, he, and, and, he's, and Thomas sticks his hand in his side, and and he sees the scars, and I mean, they're all excited, and Jesus tells them, you're about to do some great things, and then Jesus does what he always does. He leaves. And he, you gotta, what happens then? Faith sets in. Well, he's gone for a few days, and Peter says, I'm tired of waiting. I'm gonna go fishing. And you know what happens when you do that? Leading by example. Everybody follows you. Guy like Peter, everybody went fishing. They dropped everything, all the excitement, everything they were doing, and they went fishing. And the Lord came down with lightning, and he struck the boat, and they all drowned. That's what I would have done to them, but, but I'm not God. What, what, did, what, did, what did the Lord do? He came to them on the shore, and they weren't catching any fish. 
and he gave them a net full of fish. So many fish that it was sinking the boat. But the nets didn't break this time. You remember the story? And Peter jumped out of the water and he swam to the shore. And the disciples jumped out of the water and they swam to the shore. And what did Jesus do? He cooked them breakfast. He cooked them breakfast and ate breakfast with them. That's the kind of Lord we serve. And then after breakfast, verse number 15 of chapter 21 of John, verse number 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, do you love me more than these? You've got you to keep up with the Greek words here. The, the Greek word there is agape. Do you agape me with divine, perfect love more than these? Now the these there, that pronoun is neuter. So he, he, as some people teach, he wasn't referring to the disciples he wasn't saying, do you love me more than these disciples? You know what he was saying? Do you love me more than these fish? Do you love me more than fishing? Peter, you dropped everything you were supposed to be doing and you went fishing. You're supposed to be waiting on me and you went fishing. Do you love me more than these fish? Now, Peter had been really bold and proud with the Lord in the past, but he had he'd been broken just recently, hadn't he? when he denied the Lord three times. So, so listen to Peter's answer. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. He doesn't, he's not so bold to say, Lord, I agape you. You know, Lord, that I phileo you with brotherly love. I love you with brotherly love. I'll go so far as to say that. And Jesus said to him, then feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. Who are the lambs? The sheep, the you, me, we're the lambs. Feed my lambs. He's feeding us today and as we're reading 1 Peter. And then he says in verse number 16, he says, he said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me? And, look, and Peter's, Peter's standing tall. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. And he said to him, well, here's his calling now. Tend my sheep. Poeman. There's that same word we see in, in when Peter says, shepherd the flock has been given to you. Jesus has given him his calling. He's saying, tend my sheep, pastor my sheep. You're going to be a pastor, Peter. You're not going to be a fisherman. You're going to be a pastor. You're going to do something much more important you've ever done in your life. And then he said to him a third time. Oh, three times. Three times he asked Peter. And he says, Simon Barjona, do you even phileo me? Do you even phileo me? I think what Jesus was doing here, I mean, some expositors believe that the reason he asked him three times was because Peter had denied him three times. I think I agree with that. But I think it was a very gentle reminder to Peter that, Peter, you can't do this in your own strength. You don't love me as much as you think you love me even now. Do you even phileo me? Don't get real bold here, Peter. Do you even phileo me? And, and Peter was grieved. He was grieved because the Lord asked him a third time. 
And he, because of what he asked him, do you even phileo me? Do you even love me with brotherly love? Be careful, Peter, because you don't want to be prideful. I'm giving you a great task, and you've got to understand that you can't do that task on your own. It's going to take my power to do that task. It's going to take my love flowing through you to do that task. You can't love people on your own, no more than you can love me on your own. So do you even phileo me? And Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know my heart. And hopefully, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Hopefully you see that, Lord. Hopefully that's, that's the case. Jesus said, okay, Peter, you phileo me, then feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Do what I've asked you to do. Feed my sheep. I'm going to give you the most important job on this earth to feed my sheep. And if you love me, you're going to feed my sheep. Oh, man, don't you see the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ in that story? I mean... He's calling a man who only a few days before that had denied him three times. I mean, he had had deserted him. And he calls this man to the most important office on the earth. He calls him to feed his sheep. I mean, isn't that like Jesus? He called Paul. Think about that. He called Paul. Who was Paul? He persecuted the church. He killed Christians. He threw them in jail. And yet the Lord forgave him and gave him one of the greatest offices on earth to start churches and pastor churches. You know what he called me? 40 years of my life. I spent rebelling against God and blaspheming God. And he saved me and he called me. I mean, what grace. What grace. Look, here's what I want you to see in all of that. God can use any of you no matter what you've done. He's got a calling for you. I mean, if he can call a, a, a denier, a guy who's always sticking his foot in his mouth, he can call a persecutor of the church, he can call a blasphemer like me, he can call you. He's got something for you to do in his kingdom. Yes, Peter had a calling. Let's go back to 1 Peter again. Yes, he had a calling. Yes, he had experience as a fellow elder. But he has some other credentials too. Look at this. He says, he says there in the last part of verse Number one, he says, a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Oh, he witnessed those three years when Christ was persecuted on this earth. He was there that night. He was there watching them at the high priest's home when they were spitting on Jesus and they were slapping Jesus and they were pulling out his beard. Peter saw all of that. And I guarantee you this, When Jesus Christ was hanging on that cross, Peter wasn't there at the foot of the cross, but somewhere at the bottom of that hill, he was watching Jesus suffer. He was a witness to that suffering. 
He said, but he was also a witness to the glory that would one day be revealed through Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ. He saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration in his glorified body. He saw Jesus there. Boy, he messed up, didn't he? He saw Moses and Elijah there, and he said, oh, we got celebrities here today. Let's build three tabernacles. The Lord said, shut up, Peter. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. I'm paraphrasing that. You won't find that. You might find it in NIV, but you won't find it in the New King James. I'm, I'm joking. He saw Jesus raised from the grave in his glory. He saw Jesus ascend back to heaven in his glory. The glory of Jesus Christ rested on Peter when he wrote these very words. So yeah, he had some credentials, didn't he? He understood the glory of God. He saw the sufferings of Christ. He was a pastor. He had experience. And so he had the authority to write what he writes to us here. So Peter says, Here's what he says to the pastors. He says, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. Just as Jesus told me to tend the sheep and feed the sheep, you guys need to feed the sheep and tend the sheep and look out over the sheep. Because look at the next thing that he says there. As overseers, as lookouts. You know, the pastor's job, my job, any pastor's job, any pastor worth his salt, is to look out for you guys. How do I look out for you? I, I, you know how? Because I see the wolves. I see the wolves in lamb's clothing. Who are the wolves in lamb's clothing? They're the false teachers. And what I try to do is feed you the word. I try to lead you, I try to lead you into green pastures where you where you are fed on the word of God. There's some of you, I see trouble coming in your life. And, and, and I try to warn you of that trouble. I see trouble coming in this world, and I can warn all of you today, there's lots of trouble coming our way. And it's my job as an overseer to, to look out for you guys. And then the motive's got to be right. Boy, I wish I could say my motive is always right, but the motive should be right. I mean, look at what he says here. He says, he says in verse number two, serving these overseers not by compulsion, but willingly. When you serve God in whatever situation you're in, it should be willingly. If you're not willing to do it, don't do it. Don't, it's just like if you, if you put your offering in there today, you say, man, I hate putting that offering in there. Don't put it. Yeah, put it in there, but don't put it in there. <laughs> Yeah, put it in there whether you like it or not. <laughs> Man, I don't want to go too far with this thing here. <laughs> but God loves a cheerful, cheerful giver. He wants you to give with a cheerful heart. He doesn't want your, I want it, but he doesn't want your offering. If you're not, don't have a cheerful heart. Keep it. If you, if you don't have it, put it in, but spiritually keep it. If, if you don't want to give it. The pastor doesn't do it because he's made to do it. 
he, he, he doesn't, he, he's not forced to do it. He doesn't do it for money. Uh, he does it because God has put that on his heart. You know, God gives us the, gives it, puts desires in our heart, and then he lets us pursue those desires. That's, that's the way he works. If you have a calling, you know it because you know what your desire is. You desire to do that more than anything else in the world. That's the way you desire to serve the Lord. You know, when I was in seminary, I heard all sorts of reasons for guys going into the ministry. I mean, there were a lot of good men there, don't get me wrong. There were a lot of good men who had a calling. And that desire was there. They, there was nothing in the world they wanted to do more than pastor. But I heard some people say, well, you know, it's just a really good profession. It's a really good career. I mean, they, I mean you go to one of these big churches and you see the pastor driving a nice car and, you, and, and, and he preaches on Sunday, he preaches on Wednesday night, and he plays, as far as they're concerned, he plays golf the rest of the week. What a deal. Hey, y'all supposed to laugh at that and not look at me like, that doesn't happen, trust me. <laughs> I mean... It, it, that's why people, some people see it though. Man, I can work two days a week and make this money and drive this nice car. Man, I'm going to be a pastor. So they just choose it as a career. That's not the reason to become a pastor, let me warn you. Some people do it. Some people I've met there did it because their parents always wanted a kid to be a pastor. And they said, man, mom wanted me to be a pastor from the time I was a little kid. So I've decided to go to seminary and be a pastor. Man, your mama ain't, don't give you your calling. She might help you along with your calling, but your mama and daddy don't give you your calling. God gives you your calling. And then there, I met some pastors who said, you know, I did so many bad things in my life. I'm going to be a pastor. I'm going to pay God back for what I did. Whoa, they, don't need, they got bad theology to start with. You don't pay God back for, for what, what he's done for you. You can't pay him back for what he's done for you. Then I heard some pastors say, God made me do it. I don't like it, but God made me do it. That's all wrong. The pastor is called to the ministry. And when he's called, God puts that desire in his heart. And, and he, it's a burning desire. Let me tell you, it's a burning desire. You, there's nothing in the world you would rather do. And, and, it, and he gives you a good attitude. Now, that attitude gets chipped away at it times, I've got to admit. Sometimes you, get a, you cop a bad attitude, but God has ways of getting your attitude straightened back out. But what's the motive? What's the motive got to be in any ministry, but especially for the pastor? What's it got to be? It's got to be love. Love for people and love for Jesus Christ. Jesus said to Peter, if you love me, Feed my sheep. You know, there's days, lots of days where I want to quit the pastor and lots of days and I hear those words, George, do you still love me? Do you still love me? Do you even phileo me? If you phileo me, tend my sheep. Tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Don't quit on the sheep. You're not a hireling. Look, I don't care what God calls you to. If he calls you to the mission field, you're going to feel the same way about missions. You're going to have a burning desire to do nothing else but uh, go on the mission field. Spend two days with Alan Blackman and, and you'll, you'll, 
Man, all he can talk about is missions. I think I mentioned that a few weeks back, but man, he'll drive you nuts about missions. He thinks that's the only thing going on in the world is missions. And good for him, because God's put that desire in his heart. But, it, but it, he's, if he's, God calls you to the medical field, you'll have that same desire. If God calls you to business or whatever, God, you know where God's called you. It's your desire. You have a desire to do that. And God gives you the desires of your heart. Now, we're going to get to the meat of the thing. Peter talks here real quickly. Peter talks about leadership styles. Listen to what he says in verse number three. Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. You, you see the leadership style? What's the leadership style? Leading by example. If it's true for the pastor, it's true for all of us. We're to lead by example. The pastor does not drive the sheep like a rancher drives cattle. Sheep follow the pastor. Hopefully they follow the pastor. And hopefully the pastor doesn't take them off a cliff somewhere. Too many pastors see themselves as lords over the sheep. They tell the sheep who they're to date, who they're to marry, who, where they're to work, what doctors they're to see, what medicines they're to take, what they're to wear, what they're not to wear, uh, what they're to eat, what they're to drink, uh, how, how they raise their kids, do they homeschool their kids, do they send their kids to public school. They think that's their job. That is not the pastor's job. Now, if you ask me for advice on certain things, I certainly will give you that advice. Hopefully, it'll come from the Lord prayerfully. But my job is not to lead your life for you. My job is to set an example for you. A pastor who leads his church by lording over his church, I don't believe is leading sheep. He's leading goats. If you've got to tell somebody what to do every step of the way to keep them out of evil, then they're probably goats, not sheep. John, uh, Jesus said in John, 1, in, in John 10, he said, My sheep hear my voice, and I call them by name, and they follow me. They follow me. So I don't have to tell you everything to do. If you're following Jesus Christ, you're doing the right thing. No, I don't, have to, I don't have to drive you like a goat. I lead you by example. I impart the, supposedly impart the wisdom of this word. I pray for the sheep. I, and you know what I think my most important task is, and I, I, I know I probably fail at this, but it's what I'm trying to do with all my heart, is to lead you into a closer relationship with the chief shepherd, with Jesus Christ. I hope that's the example I set. More than anything else, that I want you, more than, what I want for you more than anything else is for you to have a compassion for Jesus Christ. Because let me tell you why. Or, or not compassion, a passion for Jesus Christ. If you have passion for Jesus Christ, everything else is going to take care of itself. I'll tell you that right now. 
Man, you talk about a great responsibility and a very difficult task. It is, but is it worth it? Look at verse number four. I'm going to finish up with verse number four. He says, and when the chief shepherd appears, he will receive, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Wow. What a reward. What's the crown of glory? Y'all got your pens and paper? Write this down. I don't know. I don't know. Now, we all receive the crown of life, all of us who are believers. And, and I don't believe he's referring to the crown of life right here in this text. I think he's referring to something else. But I, it's a crown that never fades. I don't know what it is. You know, but I don't believe crowns are reserved for pastors. I know they're not reserved for pastors. Because Jesus said this. He said, you remember those words? He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. He says that to every believer who follows him. Every believer. And then listen to what he says. I, and this isn't just the pastors. I will make, you have been faithful in a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Who wears crowns? Rulers. If you're faithful to Jesus Christ, you're going to be a ruler in many things. You're going to wear a crown. Who will the princes in, princesses in heaven be? Let me tell you who they'll be. Every good and faithful servant. Every Christian who has heard God's call whether it be to the pastorate or to missions or to, what, to children's ministry or to whatever service God's called you to and you haven't ignored that call, you've accepted that call and you've been faithful in that calling, then you're going to be a prince or princess in heaven. Well, pastor, I'm not a leader. I'm really not a leader. So this really doesn't apply to me. Is that right? What does Jesus call us in Revelation? Kings and priests? Man, those titles imply leadership. We have all been called to be leaders. You have been placed in this world as a leader. You might be a janitor in a, in a factory somewhere, but you're a leader. You are a leader. And how do you lead? You lead by example. You set an example for others to follow. Just as I to set an example for you, just as Jesus has set an example for me, just as Peter has set an example and Paul has set an example, you're to set an example wherever God has placed you. I mean, what about Jesus? What kind of leadership style did Jesus follow? Do you remember? Well, let me tell you. He has all power and all authority on heaven and on, and on earth. And when he returns, we're told in the word of God, he will rule with a rod of iron. Boy, that sounds pretty authoritarian to me. Well, it is. 
That sounds pretty despotic to me. It is. Sounds like a dictator to me. He is. You going to like it or lump it? There's not going to be any choice. But he's going to rule and reign in righteousness. And you would only be a fool not to love his leadership. But it's interesting to me that when he lived on this earth, he did not use the authoritarian leadership style, did he? I mean, he didn't lord over people. They called him lord, but he didn't. We call him lord, but he didn't lord over people. He doesn't lord over you now. He's not going to make you do anything. Well, now, I, he has ways. Let me, let me not go too far with that. But he gives you a choice even now. You've got a choice. I think what he used was maybe the democratic method. He said, okay, disciples, let's vote. Today we're going to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration or not. Well, the three of them voted yes. The others didn't. They didn't, they didn't go. No, he didn't use that. He didn't use the Democrat liaison fair. Now, if you look at some of the movies about Jesus, it was kind of, hey, dudes, what are we going to do next? You know, uh, you know, whatever we want to do. What do we want to do today? You know, there was no direction, no sovereignty of God, no, no omniscience of God there in, in, in the movies. No, Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do, always knew what he was going to do. And he told the disciples what to do, but he, he didn't make them do it. How did he lead? He led by example. He led by example. Peter led by example. Let's see what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. In other words, I've set an example. I'm following the example Christ set. You follow me. You follow my example. That's how we lead in this world. We lead by example. But none of it works if you're not born again. None of it works if you're ignoring God's call and you're just doing your thing. None of it works if you're not empowered by the Holy Spirit. And you know when you're empowered by the Holy Spirit and when you're not. If you never experienced the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, I feel sorry for you. You're wasting your life. And you're not going to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. It's coming to church on Sunday and doing a few things here and there, you know, uh, maybe putting a little money, in the, put a lot, putting a lot of money in the box. I mean, those things, yeah, look, put a lot of money in the box will help you really, no. Those things, those things are what, not what the Lord's looking for. He's looking for you to be leaders in the community that he's placed you in. To follow the example of Peter, to follow the example of Paul, but more importantly, to follow his example. You do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the example that you've set through Jesus Christ and how what a high calling that is, Lord. Father, you've called us all to be leaders in your kingdom. I ask today if there's some people here in this room, Lord, who are meandering through life doing their own thing without any rhyme or reason without any purpose 
Lord, I ask for you to touch their heart and let them know that's not the life you intended for them. You've intended them for them to be leaders in the community that you've placed them in. That's what you've intended for all of us, Lord. We know we can only do that by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we ask for that power. We ask for that direction. Lord, we ask for a specific calling in our lives. So we're exactly where you want us to be in every situation. Use us, Lord. Use us in this lost and dying world to set an example and help lead people all the way to glory to be with you. We pray for that in Christ's name. Amen.